0: Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info.
1: Thanks for joining us for the Monday edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bradley George here with you. At the GPB studios in Midtown Atlanta. I'll be here today and tomorrow. Bill Nygut will be back in the host chair on Wednesday. And with us this afternoon, former Democratic Congressman Buddy Darden. Buddy, good to see you. Great to be back. And also here with me in the studio, uh, Republican strategist Leo Smith. Leo, great to see you as well.
2: It's great to be here, Bradley.
1: And usually Jim Galloway is here. He's he's with us uh, on the air, but he's uh, joining us from uh, the studios at WUGA in Athens. Jim, good to talk to you.
3: I'm with you in spirit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're the disembodied voice. <laughs> so that's, uh, that works out pretty well. Also, joining us by phone from Washington is uh, Tamar Hallman, the uh, AJC's Washington uh, correspondent. Tamar, good to talk to you again.
0: Not the only disembodied voice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and as always, we're streaming the show on uh, Facebook at our Facebook page. That's GPB News. And uh, we're also on uh, Twitter at Politics PoliticsGPB. If you've got co- uh, questions or comments, you can shoot them to us there. And I'm also going to start uh, with a little bit of a warning here. I've been sick for the last couple of weeks and I still have a little bit of a, of a cough. Uh, so you might hear me uh, clear clear my throat or uh, or uh, uh, cough a couple of times, hopefully not too often uh, throughout the next hour or so. But we got a that's lot a of
3: good th- reason. For, that's a good reason for me to keep my distance. <laughs>
1: <isn't it? laughs> right, right. Exactly. We plan that. Uh, Jim, we're going to start with you because you're in Athens and you're up there uh, for this. Uh, there's this three day meeting that's happening uh, with, with state lawmakers. It's something that, that happens every two years. And because it happens every
3: Every two years, it's known as the biennial. What? Tell us a little bit more about it. Okay, it, it, it's kind of built around uh, the freshman class uh, of in uh, in every two year term. Uh, you know, how do you, how how are you supposed to be a state legislator? How, how do you how do you fill out your expense forms? How do you file a bill? Uh, and how do you uh, you know, and some very, very practical information uh, for 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 evaluating and getting legislation out there. But what it's become over the years is a is a first opportunity for for legislators and and the governor to make uh, to, to kind of make it clear what their priorities are for the coming session. Uh, Brian Kemp will be speaking here on Tuesday. Where he'll he'll do he'll probably uh, kind of give us a first hint of what his new administration is going to look like. Uh, as you mentioned in the uh, uh, in in at the front end of this program, I uh, I just finished an interview with with uh, Speaker David Ralston. Uh, who is is kind of the he, he is now the old man in the Capitol. I mean, he is he is the guy with the with the experience, and his uh, his his members have really put uh, the House Republican uh, Caucus has has put out a very aggressive uh, report through this uh, House Rural Development Council.
1: Yeah, we'll talk about that uh, later on in the show. But uh, anything else from your uh, from your
3: chat with uh, with Speaker Ralston that, uh, that, that you want folks to know about? Well, uh, he, is, he is concerned and he's taking lessons from this uh, rural-suburban divide that showed up uh, on November 6th uh, among Republicans where he lost uh, – uh, where 11 House members, uh, all Republican, lost their seats uh, in, in the northern metro arc. Uh, I talked to I talked to him specifically about uh, Rifra, and it's very clear he would rather religious that not, it, that's religious freedom
1: legislation. Let's come up uh,
3: in the right, past. Yeah, he he he's he, he was very specific in in saying that he would rather not see that come up again.
4: Okay. In fact, I, Jim, you probably know that the primary Senate sponsor. Uh, ran for something else and got elected Josh ran for secretary, and, of state. and the primary House sponsor, who happened to be my state representative, also lost. That was uh, Sam Teasley. So there should be a lesson in that somewhere.
2: I was going to ask you, Jim, as I sit in your seat, by the way, I'll keep it warm for you. Um, I was going to ask you, if, if as you spoke with Speaker Ralston, I've known him to be pretty visionary and, and and foretelling when it comes to these changes that we were going to see demographically across the state and whether or not we were doing enough to win in purple um, house districts did he speak to what he thought the party and the and the caucus ought to do to uh, deal with those changes
3: well I, what, basically what he said is that the Republican Party has has has, has got to realize that it's a big tent. And you can push an issue in South Georgia or in far North Georgia. I mean, he used the example of Fanning County, something that sells in Fanning County will not go over well in North Fulton or or Gwinnett. Uh, and and if you look at the list of vulnerable uh, legislators out there, uh, for instance, you have Jan Jones up in North Fulton. Uh, she's the Speaker Pro Tem. And uh, the the district next to her, uh, I think that uh, uh, was given up by Brad Raffensperger, who is now uh, the Secretary of State-elect. That went Democratic. Right. He, he's got he's got to be concerned with that.
1: So, but does did he express any 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 way to to really deal with that with that issue for
3: Republicans? Well, I think that's I, I think that I think the religious liberty uh, <coughs> issue is is very emblematic about that. Uh, he, he's saying what he's what 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 the speaker is saying is you, you we have to uh, is, Republicans have to go back to what people supported them for, which is small government, uh, uh, support for small business, and restrained restrained, uh, 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 restrained spending in government. Uh, that, and that once you get into these 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 ancillary issues, then you start wandering away from your mission statement. And that's when you get that's when you that's when you start to divide your caucus. Well, Jim, you mentioned
1: uh, that uh, the governor elect Kemp is going to give this speech tomorrow, and that's kind of the kind of the center centerpiece of this uh, this event in Athens. Um, most of the uh, newly elected state lawmakers are going to be there, but two uh, African American women say that they're they're going to boycott it, including uh, State Representative Renita Shannon of Decatur. She's been critical of of uh, Kemp's uh, handling of the election when he was Secretary of State. She was also critical of uh, this picture that he took with a with a white nationalist, and she talked a little bit more about her objections uh, to Kemp overall and why she's boycotting this speech in in, uh, an interview she did with our colleague Leah Fleming this morning.
0: To me, I know that these are not just, you know, political differences. These are campaigns based on targeting whole communities. And so running these uh, racist, hateful campaigns and then just calling it political differences allows people to feel comfortable, you know, in what they're doing, these candidates, and I'm ripping the warm covers off.
1: Jim, what are you hearing from from other Democrats there uh, about the the prospect of of working with with Kemp and some of also some of some of the ways that uh, that that he presented himself in his, his previous role
3: as Secretary of State? I think you're finding among Democrats here uh, the the feeling that the issues facing the state of Georgia are a little bit too great in, uh, to 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 participate in a boycott like that. Uh, uh, for instance. Uh, uh, we we just let this last year we we've uh, in these last two sessions we we passed some significant legislation that opens uh, Metro Atlanta up to rapid transit. Uh, and it I mean, we still haven't felt it's fully impact, but that required a great deal of 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 participation and support from rural legisl- legislators. And right now, what you've got is in, in this in this upcoming ni- uh, 2019 session is you've got kind of the flip side of that, where where legislators are starting to take up a. Uh, 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 uh trying to create a system of transportation for for rural Georgia uh just where where you've got a declining population and and no real transportation infrastructure there and so and they are looking to support from from metro atlanta legislators many of them democrats uh for instance uh, 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 Calvin Samari of of Columbus uh it this is this is uh we are. I'm sure we're, we're not over all of the uh, hard feelings that came came across from from November 6th, but this is this session in Athens is the one where people really start looking for allies and uh, uh, across the aisle. So I I, I think I, I think those 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 two state lawmakers, Democratic state law, lawmakers are going, going to be in the minority. Even Jim is
4: this is uh, Buddy is. Medicare expansion, Medicaid expansion, dead, or will it be some, maybe some backdoor form of that brought up
3: this time? No, no, it's it's, it's not dead. No, uh, uh, you know, it's it's uh, in in that the House Rural Development Council report that was issued last week. One of the main uh, one of the main thrusts of it was. Uh, uh, to to redo the certificate of need regulation, uh, the 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 1970s legislation by which uh, 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 the the state will kind of pre- uh, prevent from from uh, prevent gluts of, of hospital care from occurring in order to keep uh, expenses down. Uh, that's now viewed as an impediment uh, impediment to to rural Georgia. I asked the speaker if. If uh, Medicaid expansion or waivers—that's the Republican term—is Medicaid waivers—is uh, is on the table, and he said no, it's it's not it's not within the House House uh, report, but he's not anticip he's anticipating that it might come up elsewhere. I think this is something that 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 Governor Kemp would have to propose in order for it to have any legs. And it doesn't seem like he's keen on that, though. I I, th- I think you might see something in terms of. A a a waiver in terms of asking the federal government for a for a, a kind of a block grant that the state could spend according to its own rules. You you, you got to keep in mind that, that Brian Kemp brought in uh, uh, former Congressman Tom Price, the 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 the, the ex Health and Human Services Secretary, whose job it was to deal with health care. That's he's now on on Brian Kemp's transition team, and I, I think that is uh, that is a that is a sign that something may be in the works. Tamar, I want to let you jump in here. Um, anything that
1: uh, you're curious about about this session in Athens that you want to pause it to Jim?
0: Sure. Well, well Medicaid expansion was the, the first thing um, on my list because it's something that, that people talk a lot about up here. And it's something that I heard from a lot of the, you know, in a lot of the congressional races that um, – that I've been covering as well, I'm also curious, you know, I've been following this criminal justice reform effort here on, on Capitol Hill. Um, and Johnny Isaacson is a big supporter of, of this bill that, that currently, well. yeah, exactly. That, that we're kind of waiting to see if it's going to move in the Senate. And I'm wondering if, if we've heard it all from Governor Kemp, uh, Governor-elect Kemp or his transition team about whether they plan to continue or expand on any of the criminal justice efforts um, that, that Governor Deal championed.
2: Well, you know, I I would think that the answer to that is they will, because that's been the history of this Republican leadership. I mean, Georgia has been cited even by uh, Attorney General Holder and President Obama as being leaders on criminal justice reform. And I think that one thing I know about Brian Kemp, Governor-elect Kemp, is that he sees himself as part of that leadership hand down from Governor Deal's um, good legislation when it comes to those issues.
3: Jim, well, I, I will tell you what it's it's uh, it's it's one of the things that you're going to listen for. But in the you know in the in the rural in, with the emphasis that Brian Kemp put on rural Georgia in this last in in this this last campaign, uh, it's not something that made his. It, it, I don't think criminal justice reform was on his on his first tier of issues. Uh, it may be something that, that that we see develop along the way. Uh, it, it, it will be worth listening tomorrow to see if he includes it in his uh, in his list of uh, in his wish list.
2: Is an opioid abuse part of criminal justice reform with the drug courts?
3: It, it is. It is part and of that. And, that's a and, and very of course, much
2: a rural issue, right?
3: Right. It's a. It's very much a rural issue, and and also you've 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 heard uh, uh, some lawmakers like Renee Unnerman in the Senate uh, propose. Uh, building a Medicaid waiver to expand uh, uh, federal spending on health care in Georgia based on as uh, on opio- 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 excuse me, opioid uh, addict- addiction prevention.
1: All right. So uh, we're going to take our first break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, rural development. And we're going to talk about uh, Nick Ayers, who many people thought he was going to be Donald Trump's uh, chief of staff. But uh, he announced he's coming back to Georgia. We're going to talk about what might be next for him. You're listening to Political Rewind on GPB. Think about all the time you've spent with GPB during 2018 and what these moments mean to you. As you support the organizations that matter to you during this season of giving, I hope you'll include GPB. Before the year comes to a close, do your part to keep GPB strong in the year ahead. Go to gpb.org and click donate to make your tax-deductible year-end gift or call 800-222-4788. From all of us at GPB, thank you for your support and happy holidays. Whose voice was that? Oh, that was me. <laughs> Welcome back. I'm Bradley and for uh, Bill Nygut on today's Political Rewind. We're talking with uh, former Democratic Congressman Buddy Darden, uh, Republican strategist Leo Smith, and the AJC's Jim Galloway and uh, Tamar Halliman. Uh, Jim, before we leave the, uh, the, the, the biennial session in Athens where uh, lawmakers are sort of doing their orientation, we got a question from Cindy Simpson on Facebook. And she was curious about who pays for this thing. Are lobbyists paying for it or, or what's the deal there?
3: Uh, you know, I, I believe it's 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 sponsored by the Carl Vinson Institute of Government at UGA Athens, and and uh, uh, yeah, uh, connected with UGA. But I think I think the state of I, I think the state has a has a line item in its budget for this, Jim.
4: You can be assured though that lobbyists are lurking, and uh, they are. <laughs> oh, they're and, not just lurking; they're and, they're, they're, they're swarming and, here, and, and they will they will spend a lot of time there, and uh, they will be doing a lot of. Uh, after session entertaining and discussion so uh it, it won't be a totally isolated thing and i think you'll see a number of our friends from the
3: uh, lobbying community uh involved in it i have i've seen many of your your old colleagues buddy uh they they've got a <laughs> hall full of exhibits here
1: well, that's uh, that sounds uh, that sounds fascinating. Um, let's move on, Jim and, and panel. Let's talk about uh, you alluded to this earlier. There's this House Rural Development Council and uh, they've proposed a whole host of, of, uh, of uh, ideas about reviving rural communities in Georgia. And we could expect to see some of this in legislation uh, when when the uh, session starts next month. But Jim, I guess my, my, my thing is I've lived in Georgia for almost five years, and it's like we keep talking about these same rural issues over and over and over again. We specifically talk about health care. We talk about Internet access especially. And I, I wonder when we're actually going to start to see solutions on those things because it seems like we've had task force and panels and reports and such. Are we actually going to see some kind of, uh, of, of
3: movement on this in, in this coming session? Well, it, it depends if we can figure out a way to pay for it. And that's what makes the the this this proposal that that's come out through the the Rural Development Council uh, a little bit more interesting than uh, than past ones because basically what they're taking they're 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 talking about uh, expanding uh, uh, the tax on communications the Georgians pay uh, right now uh, there's a there's a long there's a you know if if you have a landline you pay a seven seven percent uh, uh, communications tax on it. Uh, the same thing on cable TV. Uh, what they're talking about is dropping that tax down to, from seven to four percent, and then expanding the 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 base of it uh, so that it would cover uh, it would cover dish TV, it would cover satellite TV, it would cover uh, streaming services like like Netflix, uh, uh, slapping a four percent tax on them that hasn't been there before. And that's that's where this gets interesting because basically there, there was an interesting session this morning uh, from one of uh, uh, Agriculture Secretary Sonny Produce people uh, 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 his expert on on on, on uh, the federal broadband. Portion, And you know, there were figures being tossed about how many billions of dollars it's going to take to wire rural Georgia to the point that uh, that 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 health care services uh, can be delivered over that over that network that uh, that farmers can can use it as a reliable uh, source of uh, uh, source of communication for 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 all their needs. It's uh, you know- it's, it's a com- if it's taking long. It's because it's a very expensive and very complicated topic.
2: You know, Jim, I can remember uh, back in August of 2018 that uh, telecommunications loan. Uh, and Community Connect grant uh, g- a group that was put together by the United States Department of Agriculture. And Georgia didn't really have any representation on that federal group uh, to grow telecommunications infrastructure in rural areas. And I just think that in general is a good play to have this focus on looking at where we might have actually um, been absent in, in making the case for rural development.
0: One other thing that's one other interesting thing that's worth noting, though, is is what they're proposing new taxes on are forms of media that are used most commonly or, or a lot by millennials. Um, you've seen this big generational shift over the last five, ten years. You know, we're millennials like me. We aren't buying cable packages and stuff. Now they're going after things like streaming video, right. downloaded music, and stuff. So I, I think there's also a hope to kind of tap into a revenue base that was starting um, to kind of shift away from the traditional um, things that are being taxed.
4: Tim, that's a good point. In fact, most of uh, your contemporaries don't have a landline anymore.
0: Oh no and, way! And,
4: <laughs> and uh, so you. So what if you do tax a landline seven percent? You're not. You're not getting anything to speak of these days. Even if you knock it knock it down to four. But I proposed before, and I think we still ought to look at the infrastructure that's already out there and improving upon it. The electric memberships Corporation throughout this this uh, state already have a basis for an infrastructure, and what you could do is, is expand broadband. They're already providing Internet service, but you could, you could supplement them somehow that they can make broadband available. There are a lot of, a lot of is, things there already there out some- there.
3: Right right, but and, and there is some of that in these recommendations that, that, that the House is now considering. Uh, there are some, some, uh, some uh, roadblocks to, to, to EMCs uh, fully participating in the broadband effort. And they're trying to bring as many entities as they can, uh, not just EMCs, but also, say, private uh, uh, cooperative tele- tel- uh, telephone service companies. And we should mention
1: here that there have been some rural communities in Georgia that have built out their own broadband networks. Uh, Elberton comes to mind. I believe Thomasville has as well. And I know there's there are some others Uh, tomorrow. I want to go back to you because uh, Georgia has a pretty strong advocate for for rural areas in the form of uh, of Sonny Perdue, who's the agriculture secretary, the former governor. Uh, What's the chance that uh, that Washington could could pitch in, in in this effort to to help rural Georgia?
0: Sure. Well, um, it's worth noting that that the Department of Agriculture, which Sunny Purdue oversees, has a huge rural development program that has a big hand in everything, not only broadband, but they do a lot when it comes to sewers and education and funding police forces and stuff. It's a big um, kind of uh, conduit for federal funding to kind of make it down to rural Georgia. Um, And I know there's been efforts underway to to help out when it comes to to broadband. I'm not an expert as to how much needs to be done on kind of the local state versus the, or sorry, local and state level versus kind of the, the federal side. Um, but it is interesting to note that his folks were there and, and kind of a big part of this discussion as well.
4: Here's One a- thing he's got to be very careful about, though, is a rap on him already from the Midwest farmers is that he might favor the south or certain areas like that too much. And, of course, they, they were not overly enthusiastic about his becoming agriculture secretary to start with because they felt like he would uh, Abandon the Midwest and those areas where the Trump administration has been making gains.
0: Exactly. And that's a that's something, a dynamic that you see with every secretary of agriculture. Um, it's very much, it's you know, farming and agriculture issues are, are less partisan affairs and more regional because there's different crops and different interests between kind of the, the ag states in the Midwest and the South and California. So this is not only limited to Sonny Perdue, but you are absolutely right. When he was first ele- uh, first tapped for this position, there, there was a lot of um, skepticism from the Midwest. But he, at the same time, has kind of taken great pay- to make sure, um, to kind of prove to people that he's not trying to favor the South or anything. And a lot of his top deputies, he made sure to appoint Midwesterners to kind of prove that to people.
1: Here's a comment from uh, Matt Schweitzer on Facebook. He says, Republicans have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo in rural Georgia because it is their power base to urbanize rural Georgia with development that brings new business, etc., threatens their power in rural areas. Leo, what do you make of that?
2: Well, I think that... When he, he's talking pure election politics, there, and that obviously, yes, if you bring resources to a constituency that's voting for you, actually, I think that that behooves you as the, the governing party. So I'm not real sure what he's saying, but I, I, that he's saying that. But I do think that when you are elected by a rural electorate, as Brian Kemp was, um, that Rightly so. He should make sure that he serves their interests in some way. I mean, then Republicans do have a problem. We have to be careful that we don't get so focused on um, legislating and, and leading for our constituency that we leave the rest of Georgia out and that becomes an economic problem. So the problem that Republicans are having with urban communities. Losing urban communities like Orange County, California, nationally, those problems aren't just about getting elected. It's also making sure that you have a diversified um, uh, economic base.
4: Leo, maybe I misunderstood the question, but what I think he's saying is that you've got to be careful not to educate those rural voters too much, because if they get educated too much, they'll start voting Democratic rather than uh, going along with the rural Republicans.
2: Well, I just, I I I guess I understood the question. I just don't agree with that premise, of course. (laughs) Jim
3: Bradley, if I can. If I can if I can step in here, <laughs> yep. um, I, I, go, I go to these these biannual biannual events regularly. I mean, I, and two years ago, I, we were we were in a se- session and a newly elected rural Georgia uh, uh, lawmaker, a Republican, got up and started questioning why we were uh, offering tax credits to all these movie and TV production companies, because all it was doing are was was bringing in people who didn't think like them. And there is that there is that element in, you know, in in uh, uh, between wanting to stir business uh, to 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 create a a good business climate, but also realizing the fact that a good business climate changes you in ways that you might not want to change. And and that's a that's a that's a that's a it's it's a very real concern within certain circles of Georgia politics.
1: One more thing I want to talk about real quick here. Um, I imagine pretty much every House and uh, Senate member is there at that that meeting in Athens. But we still we, we've got an uncertain result in House District 28 up in northeast Georgia, uh, where uh, you, you, this is actually a, a rerun of, of another election uh, <coughs> earlier this year. Excuse me. State Representative Dan Gasaway, uh, a Republican, uh, running against another Republican, Chris Irwin, and
3: the final tally Jim shows that it's separated by just uh, uh, two votes. By two votes, and and the incumbent uh, Gassaway, is behind, in this, and this and and Republican Chris Irwin is ahead. Uh, by the way, there there was no there was no Democrat who qualified in that race, so this is essentially a, a redo of a primary. Uh, contest from from May and what happened was that that it was discovered that a few precincts that were supposed to go into that house district 28 race were had been siphoned off and 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 voters there had been sent wrongly into a into another house race
2: well, and that's going to be very interesting to watch. And you see how important if citizens are listening and they want to know how important their vote is. This is a perfect example of how important that vote is. And, Jim, I'm sure you probably know that Gasaway's attorney is Jake Evans, the son of Randy Evans, our ambassador. Um, and a former that, guest on this. Up, pervert, many right. times,
3: yeah. Ambassador.
1: Yeah, I, had no, I,
2: I,
3: had, I had no idea that that was the case.
2: Yes, no. it is. All right. Let's move on
1: and let's talk about um, Nick Ayers who uh, has a long uh, storied history with uh, Republican politics here in Georgia. Uh, he was chief of staff to Vice President Mike Pence. And uh, after this announcement that, uh, that John Kelly would be leaving uh, the White House uh, at the end of the year as, as President Trump's chief of staff, many people thought heirs would be the, uh, the heir apparent here, but uh, that,
3: uh, <laughs> Jim, has not been the case. No, no. Uh, and, and what's more, uh, uh, Ayers announced this morning that not only was he was he out of the running for White House chief of staff, but that he was leaving uh, 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 Nick, uh, Mike, Mike Pence's office as well, and would eventually uh, we'll head to, to back to Georgia here for the uh, 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 for the new year. Uh, he'll he'll be back. Uh, th- this is a guy with gubernatorial ad- ambitions, and you don't you don't even even in in a in a long term plan you don't run for governor from Washington D.C. in Georgia. Well, this is no big surprise to me, even though I don't know
4: Nick Ayers personally, I've, we've met several times, but. About a year ago he bought a beautiful home over in Northwest Atlanta, right next door to a friend of mine and from another friend of mine and uh, he's got a beautiful place there, and it's not the kind of place that you you uh, neglect It's a beautiful home. I think he his wife and family wants to raise him in the south, and I think he wants to his future is to be in the south now he's made a lot of money according to his reports, and I think he's in a position now at least he has a steady base. And why in the world would anybody want to work as chief of staff for uh, President Trump? The way he he abuses the people that work for him and everybody he touches, unlike uh, King Midas. Turns not not to gold, but to something not not quite as valuable. So, in my view, I think he's doing the right thing. Why why put up with the abuse? Why put up with the uncertainty? Why not come back to a safe haven
1: here in Georgia and continue to build your future down here? Leo, I want to let you respond to that in a second. But tomorrow, I, I want to get to Buddy's point here. Uh, since Nick Ayers made this announcement, there have been another a number of another names that have floated out there, and and uh, uh, Mick Mulvaney, who uh, was the uh, the budget director. the White House uh, was one of them and uh, all these folks have said "Yeah, we're not interested in this job what are you hearing
0: yeah, exactly. I've seen a bunch of different names pop up, including Congressman Mike or uh, Mark Meadows from North Carolina, the chairman of the ultra-conservative House Freedom Caucus. Um, but what was so amazing reading all this coverage yesterday, once news emerged that Ayers was out of the running, was was apparently that Donald Trump was stunned by all this. Those are not words you hear often in the same sentence. Donald Trump and shocked. He didn't really have a, a plan B for all of this. And for the longest time, you know, we had a story pre-written, ready to go, because you know we had. The AJC and a lot of people in Washington thought Ayers was was um, of course of course gonna take this position. I saw a great little anecdote in the New York Times that they even had a press release ready because they thought that was the plan. But um, you know, Ayers had mentioned he only wanted to be a transitional figure. He didn't want to be there for the full two years, like what, what Trump wanted, somebody who could help transition him through twenty twenty during a pretty tough election cycle. And as Buddy mentioned, you know, this is a, a guy with political ambitions of his own and this is a time where are expecting not only just a volley of subpoenas coming from House Democrats, but you have the Mueller investigation that's supposed to be wrapping up in the, the months ahead. It's, Trump is a challenging person to manage at any time, but especially at this really trying time. So, I, you know, I can see this argument that he wanted to kind of keep a distance, be able to support from afar, but not be in the thick of it for whenever he wants to run.
4: Well, the President of the United States understandably demands total loyalty from all of his people. That's understandable. However, he has not demonstrated that same loyalty to those people who have fallen on the sword for him. And so I think uh, Nick Ayers is pretty smart in stepping back and letting the world go along without him.
2: You know, I'm just excited for Georgia that we have such strong leadership up at the White House um, from the, the Department of Agriculture to Senator Perdue, to Senator Isison to young Nick Ayers, and that they love Georgia enough to make sure that they don't waste opportunities um, and, and, and sometimes what can be a very complicated situation at the White House. So 2020 is going to shape up to me to uh, be an exciting time because who knows where Nick will land as far as his political interests in Georgia. Do you have how any that sense impacts... of what
1: that, might, what that might be for Well,
2: him? I think that there could be a, a domino effect if Purdue decides, for instance, if Senator Purdue decides to run for office, whether as a vice president or as a president, who knows what Donald Trump might do in 2020. But to have a team of people already here in Georgia back who have experience in Washington, D.C., ready to go for such a race is would be pretty powerful.
3: Bradley, if I could jump in here, sure. Uh, and because Leo raises a, a really interesting point, something that I, I kind of touched on this morning, is that if you think about one one reason that Ayers might have declined this job, is think about the position that that it put him in. He is uh, he is he is Mike Pence's man uh, in the White House right now, and he was going to become Donald uh, Trump's uh, top defender in the White House. And we've had this talk that Donald Trump might be. Uh, thinking about dumping Mike Pence for somebody who can help him a little bit more in the 2020 Electoral College. And if that's the case, then that really puts uh, that 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 would have put Ayers in a very, very awkward position. And I think by by cutting ties with both both camps, direct ties with both camps at the same time, I I think he avoids a very, very serious uh, entanglement.
1: So is is what you're saying, Jim, is that uh, David Perdue could
3: be Trump's running mate? In twenty twenty, I'm, I'm saying I'm saying that it, the situation is is fluid, and that possibility surely exists. Yes, uh, but but the one one thing you have to remember is is that that by marriage and by background, Nick Ayers is part of the Purdue clan. He is part of the family, and they have a they have a they have a another agenda, uh, uh or the, well, they have in, agendas of their own that sometimes coincide with Trump's, and sometimes they won't.
1: Well, I guess we'll see. It's going to be an interesting uh, next couple of years then, possibly in Georgia. Stay tuned. He's got a lot of good options. That's the only thing I can say. Leo, who do you think should be uh, Trump's new uh, chief of staff?
2: Oh, wow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to put you on the spot like that. Perhaps Jesus
2: Christ. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, You know, that is— Can we tweet that out right now
1: (laughs) at the president? Let him know?
2: Well, look, I (laughs) mean— One, I mean, you know, in all seriousness, uh, you know, it has to be someone who's more interested in the economic agenda, the MAGA agenda, the Make America Great Again agenda, which is an economic agenda. I know people feel that that's a cultural agenda sometimes, but it's an economic agenda. And if they believe in it enough and they believe that you know Trump's leadership with Congress has been such that America is benefiting greatly, they have to believe in that more than the disorder that sometimes surrounds the White House.
1: And right? it, it, isn't it also somebody who can control some of this man's impulses, somebody, and we saw that maybe a little I bit think with that John would be Kelly.
2: The, that would be the, the, the least appropriate person. Um, to walk into the White House thinking you're going to control Donald Trump automatically marks you as uh, somebody who's going to have a tough time.
4: I'm not sure he won't say Chief of Staff in the normal way that chiefs of Staff have operated in the past. He wants to be the Chief of Staff and then assign things he doesn't want to do to to the Chief of Staff. I understand that perfectly. However, I, w- at- I would think a good situation might be uh, like when uh, Howard Baker was was tapped to be chief, chief of staff. He was someone who had already made his mark, someone who already Republican had, senator from Tennessee. Right. Exactly. Made his mark during Watergate. Made his mark during Watergate. He was highly respected, and uh, he was in a position uh, not only to uh, stand up to the president, but also to offer some experience and, and advice and— Never worried about losing his job because if he if he if they fired him so what he'd go back to Tennessee. He got a lot of options options there. and he needs somebody with some independence and and who not necessarily would stand up to Trump in in a uh, militaristic type of way, but would at least offer him some good advice as a peer and not as a subordinate. Tomorrow. It sounds
0: like he's he's looking for almost a political operative in chief. He's kind of, you know, the president loves to be on the road campaigning for people. You saw that in the lead up to the 2018 midterms. And he's gearing up for what's sure to be a really nasty. Ugly fight against who, you know whichever Democrat emerges out of this uncertain field, um, and and I think that's what really attracted him to Nick Ayers. Eventually, this is a guy who cut his teeth working for Sunny Perdue, starting when he was a, a teenager, worked his way up to the Republican Governors Association, uh, became a really high-powered political operative. And and it seems like as he you know as you see these reports that he's thinking about dumping Mike Pence, um, I think that's something he is going to be looking for. Who could who could uh, be of great help to him on the on the ticket in 2020, you're starting to see names like Nikki Haley as a potential running mate, you know, perhaps to help with female voters or suburban people who, um, you know, suburban voters who, who maybe aren't as big of a fan of Trump's rhetoric. Um, so I think he's looking for somebody with that keen political eye. I don't know if Mark Meadows is that person or Steve Mnuchin or Mick Mulvaney, but um, I think that's kind of going to be a, a big prism to, to look, through, look at all of this with.
4: That's a good point. But let me emphasize one other thing that we haven't discussed today, and that is once you become the White House chief of staff, the scrutiny uh, that you have of everything you've done since the time you were born until the present time is out there. Every every financial decision you've made, every girl you've ever dated, everything comes out. And frankly speaking,
1: uh, some of us will be better off without that type of scrutiny. All right. We'll uh, leave that uh, discussion there, and we're going to take another break. But lots more to talk about when we come back here on Political Rewind on GBB. On the next Fresh Air, the driverless car. We talk with Samuel Schwartz, author of No One at the Wheel. He says the future autonomous vehicles will be safer and look much different. You'll be able to sleep, eat, work, and even go on a date in them but he warns that the car industry of the future could get too powerful at the expense of pedestrians and public transit. Join us.
3: It's today at 3 on GPB and gpbnews.org.
1: There are many ways to be a leader. Some run big companies. Some serve on the school board or volunteer for causes they care about. Most leaders are regular people who want to make a difference. They do it by supporting what matters to them. I'm Tamara Keith. When you give to public radio, you're supporting reliable journalism. So please, follow your heart and be a leader. Make a year-end gift now. Go to gpb.org and click Donate or call 800-222-4788. Thanks for joining us for Political Rewind on GPB. I'm Bill Nygut in four... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, right. I knew that was going to happen at some point. I'm not Bill Niggett. One, one Bill Nygut in this world is enough. I'm Bradley George in for Bill Nygut, Uh today and tomorrow. Bill will be back with you on Wednesday. We're talking today with uh, former Democratic Congressman Buddy Darden, Republican strategist Leo Smith, and Jim Galloway. And uh, Tamar Hallman from the Atlanta Journal Constitution, uh, Jim. We're, I imagine Brian Kemp's giving the speech in Athens tomorrow to state lawmakers, and we'll, we're going to find out more about his transition, more about his plans for his uh, his uh, first year in office. Uh, last week, we may we got some clues in that as well uh, when he named his legislative floor leaders in the House and the Senate. Do do anything about uh, the choices he make there uh, stand out to you?
3: Uh, no. There, well, let me see. Uh, Brian Strickland in the Senate. Uh, uh, from from McDonough, right. Uh, that's uh, that's that's fairly uh, conservative Republican territory. Although it's a it's a it's a is he's he's from Henry County, and that area is changing rapidly demographically. Uh, so I don't know how long. I mean that 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 could be a two year job. And now then he's got Burt Reeves is one of many uh, uh, House members. Uh, of uh, designated for uh, for 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 service as as floor leaders in that chamber. Reeves is the is from Marietta. He's the fellow who uh, who authored the adoption bill that that comprehensive uh, reworking of the state's adoption laws. That was that was such a focal point uh, in the in the last two sessions. And a very safe Uh, seat, Jim, a very safe seat. Right. And, and, and yes, and, and it's a very safe seat. And he's uh, he's he's uh, bird is considered a, a very much an up, up and comer. So I, th- I think those are both of those. Uh, he's, uh, Kemp is doing what he needs to do in picking, I think, the right people who have good relations in their chambers. Uh, because and this is going to be particularly important in the Senate, uh, because, of course, uh, most of your Republican senators were backing Casey Cagle. And and the incoming lieutenant governor uh, Jeff Duncan is a former House member. Uh, you know now 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 Ralston also served in the state Senate before moving over to the House. So that that's not it. It's, it's been done before, but it's kind of awkward. And uh, the House and Senate have very different operating rules and very very the the, the culture is a, is a good bit different. Jim, so are they all a, rookies with respect to leadership activity? Uh, I think most of them, yes, I think most of them are. They're fresh voices,
2: aren't they? I mean, and then some of them, like Representative Jody Lott out of the Augusta area of Evans. I mean, you know, a lot of them also are from, like you said earlier, areas that are trending purple. um, But they're also used to working with uh, Democrats. These are people who work in districts where they've had to um, engage across party.
3: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and the other thing you have to, uh, uh, Bradley, in, in, in the Senate, you know, you've had, you've had a, a, a leadership shift in that, uh, in that uh, 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 Brian Kemp's brother-in-law, uh, help me out here, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. He's Bill Cousert. <laughs> Thank Bill you very Coulsard. much. He's, he's, Bill Coulsard, uh was defeated uh, uh, in, in his effort to lead that chamber. Uh, Butch, Butch Miller out of Hall County uh, is going to be doing that. And and so that's a and it, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of power uh, Senate Republicans cede to the new lieutenant governor, because that's always you know if if uh, if Sarah Riggs Amico had been uh, elected lieutenant governor, uh, she probably would have been stripped. Pretty much of all influence, uh, kind of, kind of like what's 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 going on in, in Michigan and Wisconsin right now, but uh, but this is still not a it's it's still not a friendly takeover, uh, entirely friendly takeover of the chamber. So you're going to you, there's there's going to be some some really interesting negotiation uh, over power yeah, uh, that, that's that, going to be
1: occurring there. That was interesting to me because I'm I'm thinking back. Uh, you mentioned Bill Kausert, and and um, you know I'm thinking about some of the some of the leaders during Governor Deal's time, and their people uh, maybe. Their, their political allies or their geographic allies. You saw, you see a, a lot of people in leadership positions from Northeast Georgia, which is from Hall County, where uh, where Governor Deal is from. And you look at this list of floor leaders, and uh, may, may, maybe not so much for for Brian Kemp. And so you have to wonder about how that that dynamic is going to play out as the session gets started. You might remember that Chip Lake, who is the chief of staff to the
4: Chip incoming Fl- lieutenant no. governor, uh, was on this program recently, and we made that uh, question uh, to him. In in different terms, but he seemed to think that there was work to be done, but that he could negotiate and work with the members of the Senate in such a way that he would be able to retain most of the powers that the current uh, lieutenant governor has. But that might be that might be a long reach, uh, especially when you consider most of them supported supported the uh, existing lieutenant governor for the job.
2: And Chip Lake, having been um, the leader he's been, and, and, uh, and this means a lot. I mean, Jeff Duncan has a very strong team of people joining him as lieutenant governor.
3: Bradley, there's one thing, um, one thing that, uh, and, and I did talk to the speaker about this, but uh, one of Brian Kemp's uh, biggest campaign moves was to back a $5,000 uh, pay increase for all teachers in Georgia. It is a hugely expensive uh, a venture. It would cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, the speaker would not commit to it. Uh, he says he says his budget people are looking at it and they have to they have to kind of uh, look at the long term uh, impact it would have on state spending. But if you are one of the governor's floor leaders in the house and probably in the senate too, that's probably going to be one of your heaviest lists lifts if if a, a governor Kemp goes through with that
1: and i imagine some of these tax changes that we've talked about with uh... with um, uh, paying for for rural development that's that's going to be a lift as well that's a oh, lot of money sitting
4: over there at least one hundred million dollars for the private school giveaway that could uh,
1: be eliminated. You're and, talking and about the, the the tax credits and scholarships for for that are available for private schools.
4: To put it nicely, I call it the uh, private school giveaway. But in any event, that's 100 million dollars that could be used to help fund teachers' salaries. Not. Increases, I think that'd be a great, great use and, of that and, money.
2: And Kemp has mentioned other uh, sources of uh, uh, revenue above a baseline that Georgia has achieved because of the Trump tax cuts, etc. He's looked at a pot of money that he feels that he can make an argument uh, for Georgia to do that without decreasing the choice that parents have for making education a priority for their children. Parents like myself who have used that tax credit to make sure my kids can afford a choice of an education that fits their needs and our our vision for them.
1: Uh, moving on tomorrow I want to go back to you you mentioned this earlier there's this uh, this criminal justice reform bill that uh, that's uh, facing some uncertainty in the Senate um, uh, uh, Republican congressman uh, Doug Collins from Northeast Georgia has been one of the one of the champions of this this would make it easier to commute some sentences it would uh, uh, also uh, change some other things as well it has the support of the president uh, but it's being held up um, Due to some opposition from uh, Tom Cotton, who's a Republican senator from Arkansas, he says that it's that it's uh, too flawed, that it's too lenient, and then you have uh, opposition as well from some uh, liberal groups and civil rights groups who say it don't, doesn't go far enough. What's what's uh, w- what what what's the fate of this bill? Do you think?
0: Sure. So so this bill is one of kind of the only bipartisan areas of cooperation that we've seen on Capitol Hill that has a real passive chancing uh, or sorry a real chance of passing I'm sorry uh, <laughs> and this is something that they've been working on for for years now Um we, we thought a similar bill would pass during Obama's uh, last few years as president that ended up getting blocked and and this bill this year uh, initially started from an effort that Doug Collins was quarterbacking in the house and it was a much narrower effort that had to only to do with you know prison reform which basically were were programmed as as prisoners were coming out of the system. They could um, shorten some of their sentences by going to halfway houses, participating in – uh, worker training education that sort of thing designed to keep people out of prison once they're gone uh, there was some opposition from Democrats and civil rights groups they wanted to make it broader make changes to drug sentencing laws to um, you know to, to help cut down on the disparities that you see from um, you know some African Americans who are accused of crimes and so the effort grew now the problem is that there's opposition on the right now who, who claim that this will um, you know, lead to criminals in the streets and that sort of thing. And that's where you're seeing some of this opposition from Tom Cotton, from the the National Sheriff's Association. And that's what's caused the hiccup in the Senate. Um, the president signed on to this, but the problem is that for the longest time, we didn't exactly know where Mitch McConnell stood on it. Um, in general, he's been pretty tough on crime as well, and but he also said if there was a majority of Senate Republicans who'd sign on, he, he w- could be willing to look at it. Uh, right now, it does look like there's a narrow majority, but uh, McConnell has been kind of telegraphing privately to the White House that he'd rather be focusing on other things in the next few months—or, uh, sorry, next few weeks of, of this Congress. So it looks like this could die. Pam, you covered I think-
4: this quite well uh, when it came out, but this is a big deal. I, y'all know, I think I always brag on brag on Democrats, but this is a big deal that Doug Collins is now the ranking minority member on the, judici- judi- the Judiciary Committee— he leaked over several people, and uh, this is a position of great influence uh, in the House. And I think this is quite a quite an accomplishment for him, and he'll be a major player uh, yeah, in the deal.
2: I think also, it also, just, it's very important not to look at this as a release. Uh, reformation. Um, this is also a reforming of how inmates are treated internal to the prison. So it doesn't just uh, deal with people being released early and whether or not they've been remediated. I mean, we're talking about the banning the shackling of uh, banning the shackling of pregnant inmates, women, and the way women are treated. You know, requiring that um, the Bureau of Prisons um, jail people within 500 miles of their family so they can have time to f- to, to visit their family. Look, Doug Collins is a, a very very uh, he's a moral leader. He is a values-based leader. He's a son of a preacher. He is a preacher himself. Um, I think that he is concerned about the care of families. He he considers the First Step Act a very pro-woman, pro-family bill. And I think that it will pass.
0: With the, you know, this is such a delicately crafted compromise, and I think the fear right now for people who do support this measure, including, including Chuck Grassley from Iowa, who's been the big champion in the Senate, is that any adjustments that are made to appease some of these uh, people on the on you know on the right, there's fear that you could start losing people on the left, and that's what you saw happen when the bill moved through the House earlier this year. You had people like John Lewis from Atlanta who said, "No, we want to take this opportunity while we do have some sort of bipartisan consensus to." make real changes to sentencing reform.
2: Tamara, isn't that what's happening when you see people like Van Jones, who is typically you know, the CNN commentator, considered somewhat of a leftist, some people called him a Democrat socialist, but yet then he's agreeing with Donald Trump about prison reform? I mean, aren't sometimes Democrats pressured to be oppositional, even if it helps the constituents that they claim to care about the most? You
0: see on both sides. You have your bases, You know, given how polarized we are right now, you have the bases in both parties who are kind of pushing for the perfect bill. And I think what's been kind of lost over the last few years with all of this gridlock is, is this idea, oh, well, if it moves the ball forward a little bit, maybe we should just take that opportunity. And the problem is that because the legislative process has been so blocked for so long, I think uh, there's such pent-up demand to do anything that whenever anyone gets a little bit of an opportunity, everyone jumps and they want everything. You know, 100 of what
1: right. they want. Right. We should mention as well that uh, that uh, Doug Collins ally in this uh, in this effort is Hakeem Jeffries who is a uh, uh, African American uh, Democrat uh, congressman from uh, Crown Heights, Brooklyn and actually somebody who he considers a, a, a close personal friend as well.
0: Exactly. And this is, you know, seen he's seen as the new face of the Democratic Party.
1: And he's also the chair of the House Democratic Caucus.
0: Exactly. Right. He was just elected to be the number four position in the House Democratic Caucus, and he's moving up really fast. So it'll be very interesting to watch the two of them on the Judiciary Committee as they move up. You know, this is a bill, who's to say, even if it dies this December on the Hill, it could very much be revived in the new year. But the, again, this delicate balance that I mentioned, all these negotiations that were made might need to be renegotiated because Dems will have more power.
3: Hey, tomorrow didn't didn't I read didn't I read somewhere that that that, that uh, the 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 Republican and and Democrat behind this uh, criminal justice reform effort have have shared hip hop playlists.
0: Oh yes, they made a, <laughs> they made a they they called it Doug and Hakeem's Summer Jams. They made a little Spotify <laughs> playlist that included um country music, EDM, rap, r and b. It was very fun.
1: Uh, Tamar, you mentioned Senate support, Republican Senate support for this bill. Where do Johnny Isaacson and David Perdue stand on it?
0: Okay, Johnny Isaacson is supportive of the bill. He says he sees it as an extension of what Nathan Deal has done on the state level. David Perdue has been a little more interesting. He's still undecided. He sent some very positive signals. He says he wants to get to a yes, but he's not quite there yet. And that's notable because he helped kill another, a little bit broader, criminal justice reform effort back in 2016.
1: All right. Thank you so much. That's uh, Tamar Halliman of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Also joining us is the AJC's Jim Galloway, Uh, Democratic Congressman Buddy Darden, and Republican strategist Leo Smith. Thanks to all of you.
2: Thank you. Great job.
1: Thank you. And we'll be back here tomorrow at 2 o'clock. There will be lots to uh, talk about. As always, thanks for you for your questions and comments as well on uh, Facebook and Twitter. And I'm Bradley George. And for Bill Nygut, we'll see you again tomorrow.